You're interested, aren't you? Bill Nye, Bill Nye the science guy. I told you we've uh, been on a series of why revival tarries. And so I brought a few little things here to kind of help me out with this. And we're going to be sharing basically today about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And let's just be honest, so often we fail to recognize the importance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's kind of the stepchild of the, of the Trinity a lot of times. You know, he's kind of set on the shelf. He's ignored. And oftentimes we as a church, we don't treat him the way we should. When we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it is a command that's given to us by God. In James chapter 4, and verse 17, it says this, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doth not, to him it is a sin. It's called the sin of omission. And there are a lot of things we understand the Bible tells us to do, and some of those things we understand, we think that they're important, and they are important, like meditating on Scripture, because Joshua 1.8 tells us to meditate on it day and night. We understand that prayer is important, because 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. We understand that going out and sharing the gospel is important, because the Great Commission tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we know these things to be real and true, and we understand that these are things that every Christian should be doing but one of the things that we skip oftentimes as Christians is the fact that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. And that's why revival tarries is because we are so busy a lot of times just kind of doing our own thing. We're not following the leadership of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And we so desperately need to be filled. So today we're going to talk about four keys to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you'll look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, we're actually going to look at one verse, but we're going to dig in very deep into this scripture verse to understand what God is calling us to be, to understand who God wants us to be when it means to be filled with the Spirit. So look with me in Ephesians 5 and verse 18. It simply reads this, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The first thing we want to look at is the comparison. Now, isn't it interesting that this verse is talking about being filled with the Spirit, but it uses a comparison at the beginning of the verse. It says what? It says, and be not drunk with wine. Now, why would God use an illustration of drunkenness and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Why would he put those two things in the same passage unless he was trying to make a reference to it? Unless he was trying to help us understand something. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 2 and you read verses 1 to 13, you see the Holy Spirit came down heavy upon the early church. It says, and when the Holy Spirit came down upon them, he came down in a flaming tongue and they began to speak with tongues and they began to share the gospel with all those that were there. They began to speak each and every one of them in their own language and they began to share the gospel and people were getting saved and they were excited. Verse 12 says the people, they couldn't understand what was going on. They couldn't. In verse 13, they said, some of them said, well, they must be filled with new wine. The only illustration, the only example they could give was, well, we don't understand what's going on, but they're obviously drunk. Now, you think about this. Now, let me ask this question. I'm going to get some of y'all in trouble this morning. You ready? How many of you have ever been drunk? All right. When you get drunk, 
you get what they call stupid muscles, right? You'll take on anybody. Not only that, when you get drunk, you'll make a lot of dumb decisions, right? You have more courage than you would have when you're sober, correct? In other words, the alcohol, get this, takes over. You become a completely different person when you're drunk. And it's not a good thing, all right? It's not a good thing. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, here's what he wants you to get. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you become something you would not when you're not filled. You become something better than yourself. You become someone who is filled, who is overtaken, who is controlled, who is used. You become something more spiritual than you could on your own. And that's the reason why he uses this comparison in comparing being drunk with wine to being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because it is a takeover. It is a takeover by the Holy Spirit in your life to where you will say things that you wouldn't have said. You'll have courage to do things you wouldn't have done, but they will be spiritual things. They will be more guided by God than ever before. And when you think about being filled with the Spirit, that's what you need to think of, is that He comes into your life and He speaks through you like never before. And He will use you like never before. And you will truly be the example of Christ He desires you to be. That's the comparison. But let's look at the promise. He says to be filled with the Spirit. Well, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, who is the Spirit? What is this Spirit that we're talking about here? Well, he's talked about numerous times throughout the Gospels. In fact, he was the promise. The promise that Jesus Christ had promised to give to the disciples and those that would there follow them. In John chapter 4 and verse 16, we see he's the helper. He says, and I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That word comforter there is actually the word helper. It's actually the word in the Greek language called the parakletos, which simply means the one who comes alongside of you. In other words, he's a partner with you throughout your walk with Jesus Christ. In fact, this word is used as comforter, counselor, consoler, exhorter, intercessor, encourager, and advocate. He is the one that is with you. He is the one that is for you. He is the one who will work through you. He is the one that will save you. He is the one that will change you. He is the one that will convict you. He is the one that will teach you. He is the one that will bless you. He is the one that will speak through you. He is the one that can change your life like nobody else. He is the helper. But not only is the helper according to Scripture, he's also the teacher, John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. He will teach you all things. A lot of people say, well, you know, I don't understand the Scriptures. Well, my question for you in not understanding the Scriptures says, have you ever asked the author to teach you? The one who wrote the book, the Holy Spirit. It was spirit-filled, correct? The Bible says it was inspired. It was God-breathed. How was it God-breathed? By the Holy Spirit, who spoke unto man, who wrote down the Scriptures, who gave us the Word. Who better to teach you than the Holy Spirit? In fact, John MacArthur says this about him. He says, the Spirit is the believer's resident truth teacher. By illuminating God's Word to their understanding, he thus grants Christians the knowledge of God that leads them to spiritual maturity. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He guides us. He speaks to us. He leads us. When we read the scriptures, we ought to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and teach us what it's saying. The truth is, the scriptures, you ready for this? There is only one interpretation. I hear people say all the time, well, that's what you believe. No, it ain't about what I believe. It's about what God says. All right? 
It's not about what I want to make it say. It's about what the Bible says. It's about what God wrote down. I want to understand why it's there, why he wrote it. I don't want my opinion involved in it. I want God's understanding of the scripture because it's his book. It's not an impressionist work of art. We don't get to go up and go, well, I think it means this to me. And another person say, well, I see this and I see this. It ain't about what you see. It's about what God said. We got to realize that God is the teacher of his word. He gives us the Holy Spirit to teach us and to change us. We also see he's not only the helper and the teacher, he's the reminder. He goes on, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Now, I love this. If you ever thought about it, the guys who wrote the Gospels, they wrote it long after the resurrection. Do you know that? Do you know that Mark was actually the first gospel written? He was written about the middle of 50 AD. So we're talking 20 plus years after. And Mark, where did Mark get his gospel? Because he wasn't, one, I know this just shocks you, he was not an original disciple. I know if somebody asks you, who are the 12 disciples? The first thing you want to do is go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sorry, two of them are not. Mark is not. Luke is not. All right? Mark got his gospel from Peter. He walked around with Peter. That's where he got his gospel from. But 20 plus years, how did Mark, was, how was he able to remember the conversations? How was he able to remember the miracles all the way through? What's well, simple because the Holy Spirit was the one who would bring all things to their remembrance. You want to know what's really interesting is how about the Gospel of John? Because he wrote things a lot of the other Gospels don't have. In fact, 90% of the Gospel of John is not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He wrote his gospel over 60 years after the resurrection. 60 years. How did he remember? Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. If you think you don't have a good memory, you got somebody in you that can remember for you. I'm here to tell you. A lot of people say, well, I can't memorize scripture. Have you tapped into the Holy Spirit yet? He will help remind you of the word of God if you'll let him. Not only do we know him as the helper, the teacher, the reminder, he's also the convictor. Look with me in John 16, beginning in verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit is the convictor. Man, if you've ever felt guilty for a sin, you might ought to think to yourself, who's convicting me? A lot of people say, oh, it's God convicting me. Well, that's right, but it's the Holy Spirit specifically. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Here's the truth of the matter. If you're a Christian, the moment you sin, that Holy Spirit will kick into gear real quick if you're listening. He will convict you of your sin. He will remind you of what you're doing wrong. Now, you may be sitting in here today, and you may say, well, brother, I'm not a Christian. Well, I'm thankful that you're here today. I'm so glad you chose to come in this morning. What you need to understand is here's what the Holy Spirit will do for you. He will begin to work in your heart and in your life and help you realize that you're in sin and you need Jesus Christ. He will begin to convict you of the way you've been living and help you understand that he will cleanse you, he will change you, and he will forgive you if you'll just give in. He is the convictor of our lives. Lastly, we also see, and there's plenty more, but I'm going to stop at this last one. He is also the power. I love Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where it simply says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the utter part of the earth. Now you think about this. He's the power. The word for power there is the word dunamis. You know what dunamis is? It's where we get our English word dynamite. Right? Anybody ever played with dynamite? I hope not. 
All right? I've I, I played with M80s before, and they're pretty powerful, but dynamite is a lot more powerful than that. To be honest with you, that's what he's saying here. He says the Holy Spirit is like an explosion of power. He will move in your heart. He will change you so much so that when people see you, they don't see you for you. They see the Holy Spirit and what he can do in you. He is the power. The power to do what? To be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the other parts of the world. He is wanting to use you to share the world with the Holy Spirit. And you think about this. A lot of people say, well, brother, you know, I just, I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing because the Pentecostals, they really got it down. You know, they, they can have the Holy Spirit. We just want Jesus. You know, I've heard people make that statement before. We're good Baptists. We like Jesus. We, you know, the Holy Spirit, he can stay in the closet. We're good. The Pentecostals have that one. Let me, let me just explain something to you. A lot of people ask this question. and say, well, why does it, it seem that people out there have more of the Holy Spirit than others? Well, can I tell you something? Let me just go ahead and put this out there. They don't. They don't. Now, I know that just blows your mind, but they don't. Why? Because there's only one Holy Spirit. And when we give our lives to Christ, we all receive, get this, the same Holy Spirit. Because there's not different versions of them. There's one. We all receive the same Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we're bond or free, or have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 4. There's one body, one Spirit... Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One. One. Now, you might, now you're sitting back and you're going, whoa, whoa wait a minute. I mean, what, what are you telling me? Are you telling me that we got the same Holy Spirit? You have the same Holy Spirit as every Christian ever. Doesn't matter what denomination they're from. You have the same Holy Spirit they have. Now, I'm glad you asked this question. I know the question you're asking is, then why do they seem to be more worshipful? I don't know about you, but we're pretty worshipful around here. How, what do you think? All right. But oftentimes we sit back and we say, why do they seem to be more in tune? Why do they seem to be? Well, here's the difference. The difference is, is they've recognized how to be filled with the Spirit daily. You see, here's the thing. You can have a gift but here's the thing, like a lot of kids, have you ever noticed that at Christmas time, you can give your kids, and, and how many of you probably overgive your kids at Christmas? Be honest. Yeah, all right, that's what I thought. I do too, I'm guilty, all right? And you know what I'm talking about. You can give them all these gifts that they supposedly want, and yet what happens two weeks after Christmas is over? Where's that toy I bought you? Where's that game I bought you? What, what are you doing? With, not doing anything, I'm, I'm through with it, I'm tired of it. Many of us treat the Holy Spirit like that. We've been given this gift, and we just kind of set him on the shelf, and we say, you know what? I'm glad I had him for a little while, but I'm good now. And you see, we got to be filled, and that's the command. That's the third thing we want to look at. Look at Ephesians 5.18 again. It says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word actually for filled there is the word plero, which means be being kept filled. Now, there's four understandings of this word. The first understanding of this word is to be moved. The Holy Spirit, when he fills us, will move us. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 5, it reads like this. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed or moved 
in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. He was moved. In fact, in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says that the Holy Spirit moved men to write Scripture. He moved them. The idea of being moved is the idea of a wind filling a sail of a ship. As the wind fills the sail, it carries the ship wherever it desires. When the Holy Spirit fills a Christian, we give him the driver's seat and allow him to take us, move us wherever he wants. One of the worst bumper stickers I've ever seen on a car is, Jesus is my co-pilot. No, 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 no. Jesus is my pilot. I'll be Miss Daisy and sit in the back. All right? He can drive me wherever he wants. He can move me because that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It also means to be overtaken. Overtaken. In the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, we see this there when it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. It is to be overtaken. The idea of overtaken is the idea of salt permeating meat. Think about that. Salt does two things to meat. Number one, it flavors meat. How many of you have ever said something was too salty or needs more salt? All right, the idea is when the Holy Spirit fills a Christian, he gives us a new flavor. We put off the aroma of Christ in everything we do. He overtakes us in such a way. Secondly, salt preserves meat. In biblical times, they didn't have a way of refrigeration, and so they would rub salt on meat to keep it longer. When the Holy Spirit fills a Christian, he preserves us and keeps us from sin. The third idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be transformed. Transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 say this, Now the Lord is that Spirit, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The idea of being transformed is the idea of metamorphosis. If you've ever seen a caterpillar, you probably look at that thing and think to yourself, it's one of the ugliest creatures around, okay? Nobody would ever see a butterfly coming out of a caterpillar. And yet that's what happens. It is metamorphosized. It is changed. It is forever different. The same is true of your life. Before you were a Christian, nobody probably ever would have thought that God would have used you, that God would have cared for you, that God would have loved you, that God would have changed you, that God would have transformed your life. And yet that's what he did. This person that is filled with the Spirit of God is being transformed daily into the image of Christ. The fourth idea is to be overflowing, overflowing. In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake, he of the Spirit, which that they believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost has not yet been given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The idea is, Christians, we're called to be rivers. The problem that happens with a lot of Christians is we're more like ponds. All right, A pond will hold water. In fact, the water can become stagnant. Unless rain pours into a pond, it will eventually evaporate or run out. 
Christians are not supposed to be ponds. We're supposed to be like rivers. We are supposed to be constantly filled from an endless source that overflows within our lives and pours out unto other believers. That's what we're called to be as Christians, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the thing. This cup represents our life. Before Christ, we're empty. We're unfulfilled. We're living for what? No purpose because we're just simply empty. So when we look at this cup, that's what we're reminded of is our lives. But when we give our life to Jesus Christ and we surrender to his work on the cross, he fills us up and we're full. It's just tap water. Clear, clean, almost perfect, right? But the problem is in our Christian lives, we begin to allow other things to come into it. As we grow in our relationship with God, we also allow other things to come in that begin to change who we are. We become a little bitter. This is just lemon juice. And when we become bitter, we can become bitter over things that happen to us in church. We can become bitter over people saying things that they shouldn't have said about us. We can become bitter because things don't go our way. And so all of a sudden, our constitution changes a little bit, and we begin to look less like Christ. Oh, man. Then we can become self-righteous. It's vinegar, right? It looks like water, right? And we begin to become a little self-righteous. We begin to think we're more than we really are. We begin to look like Pharisees. We begin to think of ourselves as better than we really are. And we begin to judge others, and we begin to put others down. And so we become a little self-righteous. And man, we might look like Christians, but we stink. We can also become a little green with envy, a little lime juice. Oh, got all in my suit. <laughs> Guess I'm a little envious this morning. We can become a little envious. And when we become a little envious, the problem with envy is the simple fact that we begin to want what everybody else has. We begin to want to look like everybody else. And to be honest with you, it begins to change who we are. Some of us are a little angry. Some of y'all are real angry. Right? And so it begins to... Yeah, that, that ain't right. But you become angry. And all of a sudden, man, we begin to look like something completely different when we become angry. And people begin to see this in us. And, man, we don't look anything like what we look like when we started out, do we? Man, then some of us can become addicted, right? This is just root beer. I would never bring a beer into church, all right? We become a little addicted, addicted to alcohol, addicted to drugs, maybe addicted to pornography or addicted to other things. And all of a sudden, we really begin to change and we don't look the same at all. Then we begin to delve into darker sins. We begin to let our anger turn into hatred, begin to turn into wrath. We may even kill somebody in our hearts. But man, when we allow the things of this world to begin to fill us up, we don't look anything like what we looked like before, do we? We are completely changed. Man, when we begin to look like the world, 
And we begin to look like everybody else. I wonder right now if you're looking at this cup thinking, that's me. That's okay. That's okay if you're looking at this cup and saying, man, that's me. I'm filled up with bitterness or I'm filled up with anger. I'm filled up with envy. I'm filled up with hatred. I'm filled up with self-righteousness. That's okay. That's what this message is all about for you. It's about being filled with the Spirit. And so some of you will leave out of here and you'll say, well, I'll try a little bit. I'll try a little dab of the Spirit. And then we'll look at it and we'll go, well, he didn't really change me. Maybe, maybe I'll read a little scripture today. Well, it's not doing much. Maybe I'll pray a little bit today and ask God to change me. Man, and we, we just sit back and we look at our life and we think to ourselves, man, that's, we're no different. But what the Bible says is we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to keep on being filled, which means that endless source, that endless supply of the Holy Spirit will keep being poured into our life. And as the Holy Spirit is continuously poured into our life, the sins are pushed out. And we begin to change. And all of a sudden, when that sin is being pushed out, and we begin to see Christ moving in our hearts and in our lives, we begin to realize that we've got to keep on being filled up with the Holy Spirit. And we might think to ourselves, well, all the sin is gone, and all the sin's been pushed out. But man, we need to get on fire for God, and we need to let the Spirit keep filling us to where we go out there and we share the gospel and we're reading God's word and we're praying and we're seeking to bring others to Jesus Christ and we just keep on being filled up to where we're simply overflowing and the world begins to see the overflow in our hearts and in our lives to where we no longer look like that person who's been jaded by the church, that person that's become bitter, that person that's become envious, that person that's become angry or self-righteous or has gotten addicted and we begin to see the Holy Spirit moving in us and changing us to where we begin to look like we used to. But you see, you can't give up. You can't let the addictions in your life keep you from getting closer to God. Because here's the thing. Satan will try to use this against you and say, oh, but those people, they just don't know who you are. That's okay. God knows who you are. God knows what he's changed you from. God knows what he's taken away. You may say, well, I've delved into some really dark sins, brother, and you just don't know how bad I've been. You just don't know all the things that I've done. Can I tell you something? It don't matter what I think about you. It matters what he thinks about you. He's changed you. He's saved you. He's released you. He's forgiven you. Let it go. I don't care if you've become bitter. I don't care if you've fallen into getting hurt. Because here's the thing. Let's be honest. People are going to get hurt in church. But here's the thing. You can allow that bitterness to carry you the rest of your life. Or you can allow God to push the bitterness out of your heart. We can get to a point where we allow ourselves to become angry and upset with people and frustrated over the things that they've done in our lives. Or we can allow the Holy Spirit to push this out of our life to where we no longer allow anger to dominate or rule us so that we can be in the image of Christ. But it takes us constantly being poured into by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And man, when he pours into your life, I'm here to tell you, he will forever change you. But let's look at the issues. I want to end with this, the issues. There are two sins that we have to be careful of when it comes to the Holy Spirit. One of those is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, which says, quench not the Spirit. The idea of quenching the Spirit is to extinguish a fire. Isn't it funny that the imagery, the first imagery of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church was a tongue of fire? 
Man, he will light you up if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But we can extinguish the flame that God has given to us. Many of you sitting in here today, you have to be honest, you're a smoldering wick. You're a a candle that's about to go out. You've allowed sin to dominate your life for so long, and you're about to go out, and God is begging you to stop quenching the Spirit. Here are some ways we quench the Spirit. Number one, when we don't repent of our sins. When we're unwilling to repent of our sins, when we're unwilling to turn from those sins in our lives, when we do that, we quench the Holy Spirit. We don't give him the room he deserves. We don't give him the room in our life that he's due. We don't give him our lives the way we should. But also, when we choose to do things our way, can I tell you something? If you'll take I out of your conversation, you'll change the world. If you'll forget about yourself, the truth of the matter is it's real simple. It's God first, your family, your friends, and then you. And if you'll learn that process, even when you come into church and you don't come in here and get what you want, you don't come in here and you don't get the music you want, you don't come in here and you don't get the sermon you want, you don't come in here and get the ideas that you want, and you don't come in here and get what you want, take you out of the equation and you will change your life forever. When we don't meditate on God's word, when we don't fill ourselves up with the very thing the Spirit has given us, the roadmap that God has given to us, we can quench the Spirit. When we don't take everything to him in prayer. When we don't seek his face for every direction in our lives. And finally, when we don't follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you that's one of the most interesting things is if you'll listen, that still small voice will speak. He'll speak, but you have a choice. You can listen or you can quench it. Second sin, second issue that we have with the Holy Spirit is we can grieve him. Ephesians 4.30, just right over on the next page, says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. To grieve means to anger, to hurt. John MacArthur says this way, All sin is painful to God, but sin in his children breaks his heart. When his children refuse to change the ways of the old life for for the ways of the new, God grieves. The Holy Spirit of God weeps, as it were, when he sees Christians lying instead of speaking the truth, becoming unrighteously rather than righteously angry, stealing instead of sharing, and speaking corrupt instead of uplifting and gracious words. You see, as Christians, when we give our lives to Christ, we're no longer supposed to be living for ourselves. We're supposed to be changed. We're supposed to look like Christ. And in order for that to happen daily in your life, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to pray. And and I start my mornings out, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray you will fill me. Yeah, you heard that right. I will pray to the Holy Spirit. You say, well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to pray to God in the name of Jesus? Does it ever tell you not to pray to the Holy Spirit? He's a part of the Trinity. So you say, Holy Spirit, I pray you fill me today. You guide my every decision. You guide my every conversation. You guide my every word. You show me what it is you want me to do. You help me to take the steps I need to take today. You help me to speak the words I need to speak today. And whatever you need to change in my life, oh, you change it. You do whatever you want with me because you're in control. Man, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up, to change you. My question this morning is simply this. How many of you are filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not asking how many of you have the Holy Spirit. That's a completely different question. Because if you're a Christian, every one of you in here has the Holy Spirit. The question isn't whether you have him. The question is whether you're filled with him daily. Whether you're used by him daily. Or if you go back and you look at that cup and you say, well, brother, that's me. 
I've allowed sin to fill me up and I've not given the Holy Spirit room. Start giving Him room and He'll chase the sins out of your life. And He will forever transform and change you to where you begin to look like you were when you first gave your life to Jesus Christ.